Hey, it's Greg Stanley. As a new aspect of my automotive passion and hobby, I am a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. If you need assistance consigning a collector car at Amelia Island, Pebble Beach, Auburn, West Palm, or Hershey, email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. We are going to cover the fastest cars from every decade going way back to the 1880s. So now this is a fairly comprehensive list taken from three different sources, Auto Car in England, Drive Tribe, and ZME Science. Now, all three of these have their definitive list of cars. Now, they're pretty much in alignment, except for three decades or so, where there is a little bit of disagreement as far as which car was the fastest. So we will go over those here shortly. So like I said, we're going to start with the 1880s. Now, Autocar did not have a car for this decade, but Drive Tribe and ZME both came up with the Benz Motor Wagon. I imagine there's not a lot of choices in the 1880s. So Drive Tribe said, technically, a horse-drawn carriage could go faster, but that's not really the point. Now, is it? Being that this was a horse-drawn carriage, they took off the horse and they installed an engine. Now, ZME said, I know, I know, this is not a car. It's a horse-drawn carriage in which an engine was placed on it. But we need a reference point here. This is the Benz Motor Wagon, one of the sleekest carriages ever made. There's no definitive maximum speed for carriages, but since specially bred horses can reach some 40 miles per hour free, it seems safe to say that 30 miles per hour should be the top speed of a carriage. Now, this thing is really a piece of art in history, but now let's move on to some real cars. So for the 1890s, again, we did not have one from Autocar, but Drive Tribe and DZME. That's going to be difficult saying this entire podcast. They both agreed with the Stanley runabout. No association to me, unfortunately, with a top speed of 35 miles an hour. Drive Tribe said... The Stanley Runabout was steam-powered. You've no doubt heard its more common name, the Stanley Steamer. And unlike the much more technically advanced and historically relevant Benz that came before it, the Stanley was fast. At least fast enough for drivers to be annoyed at little old ladies driving too slow in their one-horse carriages. Some things never change, right? Now ZME said, oh yeah, now we're talking F-E and F-O Stanley were twins born in Kingsland, Maine. I'm actually a twin as well. They operated a dry plate photographic business in Massachusetts until they entered the car industry in 1896 with a splash. They developed this magnificent car with a steam engine, the best option considering the available technology at the time. Steam engines often have fewer than 25 moving parts, so this powerful engine for its time was quite simple in essence, though its complexity was impressive. In 1897, the duo began producing automobiles in Massachusetts, selling over 200 by the fall of 1897. Now let's move into the 1900s. Now this is where all three, Autocar, Drive Tribe, and ZME, agreed. The Mercedes Simplex 60 horsepower, which could reach a top speed of 73 miles an hour. Autocar said the first internal combustion engine, also known as ICE, ICE, were neither powerful nor reliable. Hence, the fastest cars in the decade or so after the launch of the Benz Motor Wagon in 1885 were powered by a, sorry, got to flip the paper here, tried and trusted motive power steam rather than oil. The fastest car of the 1890s was the steamer, as I mentioned before, which cracked 35 miles an hour, rather better than Benz's 10 miles per hour from the 1880s. 
but the internal internal combustion engine developed fast, developing as an electric car. In 1903, the Mercedes Simplex 60 cranked out a whole 60 horsepower from its straight four-cylinder engine. This helped it to a nearly unheard top speed of 73 miles an hour. A more powerful one-off version broke the land speed record in 1904, hitting 97 miles per hour. Now, Drive Tribe says, originally built as a race car, of which it was decidedly not the fastest of the decade, the 60 horsepower was one of the earliest Mercedes-branded production cars. And squeaks through as champion of the aughts with surprisingly quick, with a surprisingly quick 73 miles an hour. Imagine getting passed by a, a 110-year-old car on the highway. Now, ZME said the Mercedes Simplex was an automobile produced from 1902 to 1909. It continued to use the use of the Mercedes name as the brand of DMG rather than Daimler. This car featured powerful engines with power ranging from 40 horsepower to 60 horsepower. It used a magnetoelectric spark ignition system with a single spray nozzle carburetor. It represented quite a step forward at the time, being quite unlike any other vehicle in its day. Because of this, the Simplex quickly became popular with royalty, nobility, and the other creme de la creme of the day. Needless to say, this car cemented the dominance of Mercedes in the field of automobiles, a legacy the company carries to this day. All right, now we're moving into 1910s. Again, all three agreed on the Austro-Dommler Prince Henry, which could reach a top speed of 85 miles an hour. Autocar said the engine in this Austrian car was a 5,700cc inline four-cylinder developing 95 horsepower. It was designed by a fellow named Ferdinand Porsche. Whatever happened to him? Drive Tribe says, like the Mercedes before, this was originally a race car with an engine developed by one Ferdinand Porsche. It went into production with no major changes, and while some of its contemporaries would eventually be faster, they didn't do so until after 1920. And finally, ZME said the 1911 Austro-Daimler began producing the Prince Henry. This car featured an overhead cam four-cylinder engine. The car's production figure suffered during the First World War as the 4,500 workers for Austro-Daimler contributed in large numbers to the wartime production. Unfortunately, soon after that, the company began collapsing, Still, this car remains an epitome of luxury and technological prowess of its time. Now, in the 1920s, all three agree on the Duesenberg Model J with a top speed of 119 miles an hour. Autocar says the Model J's straight eight developed an almost unworldly 265 horsepower. It features various groundbreaking technologies as part of this, including a twin plate clutch, electric and mechanical fuel pumps, and hydraulic servo brakes. Around 430 Model J's were made. Drive Tribe says when Duesenberg rolled out the Model J in 1928, it was a source of American pride. The best and fastest cars in the world were officially made in Indiana, and the great Gatsby had his dream ride. ZME says the Duesenberg Model J is a luxury automobile made by Duesenberg. Created in 1928, the car was meant to compete with the most powerful and elegant cars of the time, and it did an amazing job at that. Unfortunately for the company, the car was introduced just a few years before the stock market crash that led to the Great Depression and was sold only until 1937. Actually, all Duesenbergs were made in 1928, but there's different model years because they would title them based on the year that it was sold. So the 1937 Duesenberg was actually built in 1928, which is fascinating in upon itself. Although smaller than other engines of the time, it generated 265 horsepower. This made the car amazingly fast for its time. It was dominant and had all you could want in a high-end car. 
Now, 1930s, everybody agrees again, this time is for the Duesenberg Model SJ. So like I said, if it was produced in 1928 but not titled till 1930, it was actually a 1930 car. Now, the Duesenberg is the only car that repeated two different decades in a row, or repeated at all in this list, which is why it's the cover art for this episode. Now, the top speed for the SJ, FJ went to 140 miles an hour. Autocar said, not resting on its laurels and ignoring the serious economic storm clouds of the period, Duesenberg trumpeted the Model J with a new supercharged version, the SJ. This output 320 40 horsepower and enabled the car to achieve 104 miles per hour in second gear. The most stunning of American interwar cars deserved a better fate. Company founder Fred Duesenberg died from injuries sustained in a car accident only two months after the SJ's launch, and the depression eventually led to the firm's end in 1937. Just 36 SJs were made. Now, Drive Tribe said about the SJ four years after making the Model J, Duesenberg participated in the most time honored of gearhead traditions. It souped it up. The supercharged Model SJ that came out in 1932 could do 140 miles per hour, and a specially prepped one-off called the Mormon Meteor wound up topping 170 miles per hour and held the 24-hour speed average until 1990. Now, I was fortunate enough to see the Mormon Meteor in person about four weeks ago, and a little side story here. In front of the Mormon Meteor was a cardboard box that looked like it was from the 1930s. And I asked, well, what's in this cardboard box? Well, it was a case, a cardboard case. And inside the cardboard case was a bunch of straw from the 1930s and two cardboard boxes. And in those cardboard boxes were original Duesenberg radios in the original box, also in its original case. Like, you never see that. That was super cool. Don't know what's going to happen to those, but it was really neat. Now, ZME said, you're probably starting to notice a trend for these last few cars. Duesenberg Jag was so dominant at its time that the company did what every respectable car company would do. They pimped it out. The SJ had a 320-horsepower inline, eight-cylinder engine with a supercharger, a three-speed manual transmission, bean-type front, live rear axle with semi-elliptical leaf springs, and four-wheel vacuum-assist hydraulic drum brakes. Interestingly enough, the car was initially designed for Mae West, who ultimately declined the design. That's kind of crazy. All right, so now let's move into the 1940s. Again, all three articles reference the same car, the Jaguar XK120 with a top speed of 133 miles an hour. Autocar said the star of the 1948 London Motor Show, the 162-horsepower XK marked Jaguar's reemergence after the war. Named after its supposed top speed, minor modifications to this straight-six took the car to a production car record of 133 miles per hour in 1949. Over 12,000 were made until 1953. Drive Tribe said after the war, Jaguar's rise to prominence was in the form of a then state-of-the-art straight-six engine that would serve the company for decades. Dropped into the timeless XK body, it could top 120 miles per hour, hence the name. As legend has it, if you folded down the windshield and covered the passenger seat, the reduction in drag was enough to bring the top speed closer to 135 miles an hour. ZME said perhaps the best testament to how dominant the Duesenberg was at its time is that for the next decade, no one could create a faster car. Although in fairness, no one really cared about that during World War II. After the war, it was time for the Jaguar to rise to prominence. The XK was sold between 1948 and 1954. It was Jaguar's first sports car since the SS100, which ceased production in 1940. For high speeds, the windshield had to be folded down, which must have given riders quite a thrill. 
Okay, on to the 50s and on to our first split in the results. Strangely enough, Autocar did not vote for the British car in this list. So Autocar chose for its fastest car for the 1950s, the Mercedes 300 SL with a top speed of 152 miles an hour. Autocar states, contrary to popular belief, the 300 SL was not the first fuel-injected car. That title went to the rather less famous Goliath GP700. Beloved movie stars, the Gullwing Doors were but one standout feature of this remarkable car. Its splendid, slender, low-roofed body, jewelry-like grille, complete with intriguing wheel-arch blisters. After a hideous period for Germany and Europe, the 300 SL became a symbol of the country's recovery. But it wasn't all new and even contained a reminder of that grim past. Its 215-horsepower straight-six was derived from the Daimler-Benz V12 engine fitted to the Messerschmitt BF109 Second World War fighter plane. Drive Tribe and ZME both agreed not on the Mercedes 300SL, but on the Aston Martin DB4 GT with a top speed of 153 miles an hour. Drive Tribe stated Italian body DB4 GT and its DB4 GT Zagato sibling were the epitome of grand touring, supreme class and luxury, and a top end that meant no one could possibly pass you on the highway. Little wonder this car's successor was Bond's first Aston. ZME said high speed and high class seemed to go hand in hand, and the Aston Martin DB4 GT was the epitome of both. That's funny, they both used the word epitome. With supreme class and luxury, it was the undisputed ruler of the highways. Even today, they are sold at lavish auctions for dazzling prices. Due to the huge popularity, huge price tag, great looks, and rarity of the DB4 GT, many replica cars have been constructed, and even those replicas sell extremely well. All right, moving into 1960s and another split. Auto Car chose the Lamborghini Mura with a top speed of 175 miles an hour. Autocar stated, low, wide, tightly voluptuous, and hunched with power, the Mira still catches breath more than 50 years on. Never mind front end lift, this was a supercar unsullied by aerodynamics. Power came from a centrally mounted V12 developing 345 horsepower and made the man from Maranello sit up and pay attention. That would be Enzo Ferrari. Now, Drive Tribe and ZME both picked the Ferrari 365 GTB4 quote-unquote Daytona, which it was never officially called the Daytona, with a top speed of 174 miles an hour. Drive Tribe states, with a V12 under the hood in front, the Daytona was a classic Ferrari in every possible sense, right down to taking the world's fastest car title away from rival Lamborghini's 171 horsepower, I'm sorry, 171 mile per hour Mura. ZME says, of course, no fastest list would be complete without at least one Ferrari, better known as the Ferrari Daytona. The Ferrari 365 GTB4 was a traditional front-engine rear-drive car. The car achieved fame not only for being the fastest of its decade, but also for being driven by Dan Gurney and Brock Yates in the inaugural Cannonball Run. The duo won with an average speed of 80.1 miles per hour, competing the distance from New York and L.A. in 35 hours and 54 minutes. Now we're on to the 1970s. All three agreed on the Ferrari 512BB with a top speed of 188 miles per hour. Autocar states the success and speed of the Mura convinced Enzo Ferrari that it too had to go the mid-engine route for a successor to its famous Daytona. After the earlier 365 GT4, the 512 of 1976 featured a flat 12-cylinder engine, hence the boxer name, with 335 horsepower. We will have to take Ferrari's word for its 188 mile per hour top speed 
When we tested it in 1978, we couldn't coax more than 163 miles per hour from it. We loved it nonetheless. Drive Tribe says Lamborghini launched the Countach and said it could do 200 miles per hour, but it couldn't. Ferrari launched the BB and said it could do 188 miles per hour, but it couldn't. In various tests, however, it was between 174 and 175 miles per hour, which still makes it the top of the decade, be it barely. ZME states Ferrari continued to assert its dominance over the next decade as well. Amidst hotter and hotter competition, in which Lamborghini said its Countach could do 200 miles per hour, and it couldn't, it was again Ferrari who took the crown. It's worth noting that no BB was ever originally sold in North America, as Enzo did not believe it would be worth the cost of complying with the extra environmental and safety regulations. Today, he'd probably sell it only in the U.S. <laughs> That's kind of funny. All right. 1980s, all three agree with the Ferrari F40, top speed of 201 miles per hour. Autocar, there's delicate beauty in that 308-esque glass house, but the F40 is mostly about the beauty of raw power and applying it to the road. Unashamedly crude in places and wonderful for it, its mid-mounted V8 had twin turbos developing 471 horsepower. Drive Tribe says when the Porsche 959 came out and was the fastest car in the world, you have to wonder what the engineers thought about when they realized the car was just a fraction slower than 200 miles an hour. When the F40 followed suit shortly thereafter and became the first production car to inch past 200 miles per hour, the endless debate over which was better erupted. ZME stated its direct competitor, the Porsche 959, was almost just as fast at 200 miles per hour, but Ferrari again took the crown. An endless debate emerged between which one was better and that debate still hasn't been answered today. But in terms of speed, the Ferrari F40 takes the crown. On to the 1990s, where all three agree with the McLaren F1 with a top speed of 240 miles an hour. Autocar states, when you're building a car that costs $700,000 plus taxes, you don't have to skimp on the specification. That's why McLaren used the F1 to introduce the world to the carbon fiber monocot, developing a three-seat, 240-mile-per-hour supercar so that it doesn't take off weighs as little as possible, and stays cool as some feet, especially when the results spark seven-figure spikes of desire. Its BMW V12 engine developed 618 horsepower. McLaren's sort of follow-up to the F1, its new three-seater speed tail, hit 250 miles per hour in December of 2019. Drive Tribe states that McLaren was so fast that wind didn't really stop it. The only reason 240 What's the top speed is because the engine could only rev so high. To put 240 miles per hour in perspective, the McLaren had to be made significantly slower to race at Le Mans, which it proceeded to win not just in its own class, but outright against the virtual spaceships that make up the prototype classes. To this day, it is considered one of the most spectacular feats in motorsports. ZME states, an emblematic car, the McLaren F1, was only limited by its engine RPM. It was so aerodynamic that wind resistance was almost negligible. In 1994, the British car magazine Autocar stated, hey, that's who I quoted earlier, that in a road test regarding the F1, that a McLaren F1 is the finest driving machine yet built for public road, and it may possibly be the fastest production road car the world will ever see, but it wasn't. Okay, going into the 2000s, now all three agree on the Shelby Ultimate Aero TT with a top speed of 256 miles an hour. This one caught me by surprise because I remember this car vaguely in the past. But that was about it. So I had to look this one up a little bit. So Autocar says, since the demise of the Duesenberg, this story has been dominated by European firms. In the new century, Shelby changed the script with its 1,183-horsepower monster 
Power came from a V8 borrowed from a Corvette C5. You had to be careful with it as well. Neither ABS nor traction control were on the car's menu. Originally sold for $550,000 in the U.S., they can be occasionally seen in the classifieds for around $500,000. I seem to recall they weren't the prettiest cars in the world. All right, Drive Tribe says the Shelby No Relation SSC Aero was built for the sole purpose of becoming the fastest production car in the world. For a brief time, while arguing back and forth with Guinness, it was. The SSC Ultimate Aero held the title of the fastest production car in the world from 2007 until the Bugatti Veyron came out in 2010. Simulation and testing at NASA's Virginia facility has shown the Ultimate Aero TT theoretically capable of attaining approximately 273 miles per hour, enough to surpass the production car record holding Bugatti Veyron's 253.7 miles per hour. Now we're off to the 2010s. Now there's no clear winner here, and I think this has to do with the dates of the original. Actually, I take that back. There is a clear winner, but we have three different results, and I think it has to do with the date that these articles were written. So ZME, I think this one was the oldest article, they picked the Bugatti Veyron 16.4 Supersport with a top speed of 268 miles an hour. Drive Tribe picked the Hennessy Venom GT with a top speed of 270 miles per hour. Of that car, they said, like the SSC, the Hennessy is sometimes not considered a production car because there are very few of them in existence. But the fact is, you can order one today if you have the means, so it counts here. A quick note on the Koenigsegg 1 to 1, though. Theoretically, it's capable of 273 miles per hour, which would obviously knock this car off the list. If it has hit such speeds in the real world, it has yet to tell the world. Now, I didn't talk about the Veyron because Autocar chose the successor to the Veyron, the Bugatti Chiron. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but we'll go with it. Top speed of 305 miles per hour. The first production car to beat or to eclipse that 300-mile-per-hour barrier. All right, so this is kind of funny what Autocar says. Until the very end of the decade, the top speed recorded was the 278 miles per hour recorded by the 1360-horsepower Koenigsegg Ajera RS in 2017, which didn't even make this list. But Volkswagen's Bugatti was not about to allow that to stand for too long. With light modifications, the Chiron hypercar hit 304.77 miles per hour at a test track in 2019 making it the world's first production car to crack 300 miles per hour. It was helped by the standard engine being boosted to 1578 horsepower, which is an increase of about 100 horsepower. This car also featured upgraded tires capable of dealing with over 68 rotations per second at full tilt. Now, what car is on the list for the 2020s? Well, so far, the only one that kind of cracked it with a question mark, Autocar stated the Hennessy Venom F5, big old question mark, so we'll see. I haven't done any 2020 searches yet, uh, but it will be really interesting to see what car ends this decade as the fastest car of this decade. Now, you would imagine it'd have to go at least 305 miles per hour. So we will see. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for checking us out. And I will talk to all of you next week. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.